Hey everyone, just before this episode gets started, just want to make you aware that uh, some of the content we talk about in this episode could be determined or considered disturbing. This episode is about people working in slaughterhouses and the troubles that they face or the, the reality that they face. Well, I do not talk about any direct violence against individuals, uh, human or non-human. Uh, I do talk about the uh, atrocious living conditions that people suffer suffer through and uh, work through in the meatpacking industry. So definitely if you have kids in the car, probably they don't need to hear this. Um, and if this is something that might disturb you, please, you know, this is your warning to uh, consider consider like uh, what's going to be talked about. All right, on to the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back or welcome to the Earth Cory podcast. Um, this month, bit of a heavy conversation. So um, as, as you know, my sort of theme for the podcast um, is like things that I'm interested in. That's why there's a lot of fitness episodes. Uh, that's why there's a lot of like personal growth episodes. That's why we talk about anime, stuff like that. But um, one thing I try maybe not to touch on the podcast a ton uh, though it is super important to me is is the topic of veganism. Um, as you know, I am a, I guess, plant-carrying vegan. Um, not that I walk around with plants, but I thought that'd be a funny way to say card-carrying. And um, something that I'm very passionate about is, uh, is, you know, educating people about where their food comes from and stuff like that. Now, a very common thing I hear is uh what about um the farmers um so people are are quite uh like take take an issue with uh the farmers who are making or farming avocados uh bananas actually working in a banana uh farm would not be a good place is my understanding um quinoa is also something that like people are always like oh what about this quinoa farmers um stuff like that um and and we this argument uh this type of argument is called a a, a whataboutism um and actually straight up you know these places where there are problems um i'm not a fan of that and i do my best not to support that because more than one thing can be bad at a time um and something that i i am very passionate about is is the bad things that are happening like to people in specifically uh, Canada or, or even the Western world. And there's a whole group of people that I, I think, uh, you know, suffer from the meat industry that, uh, you know, people generally do not think about. Um, over the past couple of years, due to COVID, there's been a number of stories uh, that have come out about this group of people. And that's what I really want to talk about today is, uh, the human cost of the meat industry. Um, you know, we, we can talk about how uh, many, you know, trillions of uh, um, sea animals die uh, every year, how many, you know, billions of land animals die every year. Uh, and, and as vegans, we do do that. Um, but I think it's also important that we touch on the humans uh, in Canada uh, and in this episode we're going to talk about in the United States as well uh, that are suffering uh, immensely 
And especially due to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we're suffering at a higher rate um, or, or experiencing more cases of COVID uh, and more COVID deaths than other businesses, uh, people in other industries, as well as the systemic issues in um, the meat processing industry. So how this episode is set up is I essentially have a bunch of links. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about them. Uh, I'll do my best to sort of educate you on how uh, specifically slaughterhouses work. Um, we'll talk about the two sort of major cases, uh, one being in the United States, where there's a class action lawsuit, um, which is not come to fruition um, against some uh, major meat industry or meat uh, companies. And then we'll we'll top it off. We'll cap it off with uh, talking about you know what's happening in Canada about this, uh, specifically in the past like year, and has to do with unionization and how Canadian uh, employees are dealing with that differently than American employees. Um, that being said, this uh, and I'll probably put something at the start of the show, um, but like this is not maybe a conversation you want. Uh, to listen to around children because we are going to be talking about, you know, people not having a good time. Um, even, I think, more dangerously, this might not be a conversation you want to listen to as an adult. Uh, when you learn something, I, I think we're all uh, required or we're, we're all morally um, required to change our behavior due to this new information, right? So if you learn like, oh, the stove is hot, uh, you touch the stove, you learn that it's hot, you now should change your behavior um, to avoid, you know, getting burned in that case. Um, if you, you know, learn that like leaving your car unlocked um, gets it stolen or gets your stuff in your car stolen, right? You now change your behavior to lock your car, um, including like you might not know something is bad um, but once you learn that it is bad, uh, once you learn that you are hurting people by this behavior, you, you know, should probably change your behavior. Um, being a, a vegan, you, you often like, you come across cases of like, you know, you're, you're, you're out at a, a dinner or whatever. And people are, people always ask you like, why don't you eat meat? Um, why, why you choose not to eat meat and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think people ask that uh, without, you know, being willing to listen to the answer or deeply listen to the answer because uh, that will change their behavior. And, you know, hopefully this conversation makes you change your behavior. Uh, hopefully this podcast does that. Um, you know, hopefully it helps you open your eyes a little bit. Uh, you know, it's, it's no, no surprise that um, people generally, you know, say, I only get my meat from like a small local butcher. Um, but right when we're when we're talking about in Canada, uh, we're talking about plants in Alberta, you know, we're talking about like people that could be your neighbors. Uh, we're talking about people who, you know, live a province over. Um, and we're, we're also talking about people who um, 
don't have a voice in society or as equal voice in society, uh, specifically immigrant labor, who are suffering, uh, being paid not what they deserve, and, you know, for your own hamburger, right? Like, is, is a burger worth uh, the suffering of, like, you know, I, I, I think lots of people, especially if they eat meat, they're like, yeah, it's worth the suffering of a cow. Or, you know, they, they gloss over and be like, oh, that cow had a really good life. Uh, that cow doesn't pay taxes, stuff like that. Um, but is it worth the suffering of another human being? And um, this conversation could go into, uh, you know, talking about how there is slavery, slavery in the fishing industry. Uh, that's a conversation for a different time. I'm only going to be talking about uh, specifically meat packaging plants um, in North America. Um, but let's, let's get onto it. So I just have a ton of links here. Um, I'll try to like, you know, make this some sort of narrative. Um, I don't really know how I can, uh, but lots of these are, are stories, um, or I'll be telling stories that I've read. Um, I'll put links in the description. Two of the articles I'm going to talk about are from the Atlantic, uh, which does require subscription. Um, they give out so many free articles, which is how I'm reading them. Uh, I'm not telling you to get, you know, a subscription to the Atlantic. Um, really, if you like, just Google Eric Slosler. Um, but I'll, I'll talk about that when we get there. Um, so Sort of the, the first thing I want to talk about is uh, employee safety. Because um, I, I think that's what this all boils down to. In more than one article, um, I have read that a, generally an employee is quoted being, we are treated like animals. Um, and, you know, are they? Um, in, in, in a meat packaging plant. Uh, but how they work or how, how these plants work is uh, essentially they're an assembly line, more, I guess, a disassembly line. So generally the, the animal uh, will come in, be slaughtered, um, and then they're put on, you know, generally hooks uh, where, the, where the blood drills and drains out and stuff. And then they, they go on to essentially conveyor belts. Uh, they follow the hooks along and, and they're cut. Um, so these are people um, who are using power tools, essentially. They're, they're using stuff made to cut flesh. Um, they're doing repetitive motions and often working 12-hour days. Right. So there's a lot of issues that can come up here, uh, specifically the issue of using material that is, or tools uh, that are designed to cut flesh. You, cut, you come up with people actually being cut. Um, so in the United States, uh, OSHA, so Occupational Safety and Health Administration, revealed that on average, there are at least 17 severe incidents a month in U.S. meat plants. So these in inquiries are classified as those involving hospitalizations, amputations, or loss of an eye. Um, so it turns out that in the United States, um, from a period of 31 month period spanning 2015 to 2017, there was an average of two uh, amputations a week. Just some of the ones that they uh, 
recorded, and, and I'm reading this from a Guardian article that uh, will be linked. So an employee's left arm had been surgically amputated at the shoulder after it was pulled into a QB machine during sanitation. A worker is reaching down to pick up a box to clear a jam when his jacket became caught in a roller. As he tried to pull it out, his hand got pulled in as well. His hand and lower arm were crushed. While an employee was attempting to remove the ribs from the spine of a cattle rib, said his hand made contact with a running vertical blade saw and two of his fingers were amputated. Um, so yeah, as, as you know, we're, we're not just talking about fingers here. Uh, so far, we're talking about arms. This is the first... Uh, you know, situation of fingers being lost. An employee working on a sanitation crew pushed to stop the stop button after removing parts from the upper portion of the machine. The employee then placed his foot in a, into a horizontal grinder while climbing down from the machine, causing all five toes on his right foot to be amputated. A worker was cleaning a hydrolyzer uh, when back pressure caused hot feathers to discharge on him. As he moved out of the way, he fell six feet, breaking a bone over his left eye and suffering first and second degree burns to his right arm, right to his hands, arms, and face and neck. Um, so if we're talking about things that are like clearly noticeable, um, you know, losing a limb and, and of course, like these are all cleaning things. Um, I forget where the link is, but, uh, I remember reading one about someone on, on the line actually like cutting themselves up um, using a tool, but maybe that's the B BBC article I have here. Sorry, I'm super unorganized. Um, welcome, welcome to the show. But yeah, all around not good time there. Um, the actually worst parts, um, I think about working in, in slaughter, uh, in this industry would have to be what they call um, repetitive strain issues, injuries, or sorry, there's a, there's a proper term. MSO is the acronym, um, sorry, MSD, which stands for, why am I blanking on it? Um, musoskeletal disorders. Um, and these, are, these include anything that has to, like, they're all repetitive strain injuries. So people are often doing the same repetitive task. Um, in the case of uh, Teresa, who, whose story, uh, she's a Mexican immigrant that, I, that I'd like to tell, um, or that I'd like to talk about. She was putting somewhere, or she was stuffing um, seven to 10 pound hams in a bag, um, up to 50 hams a minute. So by the way, this is for 11.50 an hour working 12 hour shifts, often seven days a week. So she was um, doing one repetitive motion. Um, if you can imagine picking up a ham, putting it in a bag, um, seven to 10 pound you know, ham. Now she can no longer use her shoulder. Um, surprise, surprise. And through the situation, she was, um, you know, she had a surgery and stuff. Uh, she also went to company doctors who, you know, basically said, nah, you're good. Uh, put her back in and now the meat industry um, essentially like either puts you into work you do the job if you do not if you meet the production line um, you know if you can do that you're in uh, but as soon as you can't you're out 
um, you get fired and stuff like that. So they, they have lots of turnover. Um, the employees themselves have no control over the speed of these lines. Um, you know, as, as these uh, production lines. Um, but, you know, they're, they're the ones who suffer from it. And there's, there's lots of stories about, um, you know, management yelling at their, their staff um, because of course, right? Like why, why not? Right. Um, the, the thing, whenever I'm reading these, uh, is that like, oh no, you know, this, this, uh, this industry that's based off of, um, you know, killing animals, uh, doesn't value life. So I'm just going to read this little bit of a section, uh, or skim it for you all. Um, and this is from an article npr.org which will be linked um you can also listen to it actually and it's all about uh Teresa's time on the chain so the chain is the the production line that i was talking about um and about how like she's lost uh use of her right shoulder because of it uh, she's currently not working in the industry um but she's also like very much like, you know, get out of the industry. She is a Mexican immigrant. Uh, so, you know, put a little pin in that uh, because immigration will come up, you know, later. So um, the section is titled here is like, how much is an arm worth? So complicating any chance uh, recourse for workers with MSD is an ambiguous nature of injuries, both medically and legally. Many workers are told to go back to work and are barred from reporting injuries as managers want to keep OSHA injury reports low. According to a recent government accountability office, injured workers say they stayed on the line because of lack of sick leave or fear of losing their job. Um, yeah, so, right, like these people, uh, they, they generally don't want to be fired. Um, so they... they tough it out and these people are really tough um they're often immigrants right uh but here we'll we'll keep going so this section is uh why don't they care about their people um so quote uh gabriel a mexican immigrant living in nebraska works at a pork slaughterhouse he didn't want to name the company he works for or use his last name for fear of retaliation towards family members who still work there he has had friends and family members have also been fired mostly for being injured, he says. Once you get hurt, they're waiting for these people to do a mistake to fire them because they don't want them over there. Gabriel says, even if you're on light duty and that means you are hurt, you sit down, you get tired, they fire you because they say you're sleeping. Yeah, um, so, right, like, not, not a good time, um, and by the way, uh, yeah, right, like the, these people are suffering. Now, you might be wondering, so we'll, we'll pull the plug on or we'll like uh, take, take a pin out of the, the immigrant labor um, and we'll, we'll go to the, the Atlantic here and why uh, this article titled, Why is Immigrants Who Pack Your Meat? Um, by Eric Schlosser. Schlosser? I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, so Trump actually called this uh, 
an in invasion. Um, this article is written during well August sixteenth, twenty nineteen, and um, it talks about why immigrants are in in uh, work working for meat industry backs. Um, and it's, it's actually really interesting. So and and it touches with our Canadian story later on. Um, it has to do with um, traditionally meat industry where they're like slaughterhouses where um you know hiring people who uh, were african-american uh, those are the highest you know amount of employees and they were like born in america and they, they actually ended up having too more or too much uh power if that makes sense um and they're they're starting to unionize so here i'll, I'll read this section here um about this one of the poultry plants that Struis explored uh, in the small town of Morton, Mississippi, was raided last week. B.C. Rogers, a company that owned the plant in 1994, launched a hiring drive that year called the Hispanic Project. Its goal is to replace African-American workers who were seeking a union which immigrant workers would be more pliant. It placed ads in Miami newspaper, arranged transportation for immigrants, and charged them for housing in dilapidated trailers. Within four years, it had brought roughly 5,000 mainly Latino workers to Morton and other meat packing town in Mississippi, enlarging their population by more than 50%. The poultry industry expanded throughout the rural South during the 1990s, drawn by the warm climate and absence of labor unions. Tens of thousands of immigrant workers soon arrived to cut meat. Charlotte S. Alexander, Alexander sorry, an associate professor at Georgia State College of Law, but it's succinctly, in the poultry industry, location is a labor practice. Um, the immigrant workers arrested in Mississippi the other day were earning about twelve fifty an hour. Adjusted for inflation, during the late 1970s, the wages of meatpacking workers in Iowa and Colorado were about $50 an hour. Um, yeah, so a lot to unpack there. Um, and you see this in the UK, but I don't have sources, so I won't generally talk about that. Um, like meat industry or slaughterhouses generally will open places uh, in small towns. They will bring in immigrant laborers, um, preferably undocumented immigrants, um, meaning that they do not have a green card. They will house them in, in trailers, uh, usually poorly, poorly uh, maintained. Um, which they do charge the employees for, like the, the employees pay rent, it comes out of their paycheck, um, and, it, and it's a control thing. So often these employees do not speak English, uh, or speak very little English. They do not maybe have their own car, um, and they're working 12-hour days, you know, maybe seven days a week, and they, they have nowhere to go. So like, if they get fired, um, like what do they do, right? The uh, the company can kick them out of the well. They they lose their house as well, right? Not that their house is that good, and because they're taking rent out um, of their paycheck, they're paying them less, and they're already underpaying them. Um, it's hard to build up savings for them to actually have any social mobility. Often, um, and this is similar. Tim Hortons runs this practice as well. Uh, they bring in you know, immigrants on, on visas, uh, work visas, and 
losing your work visa would mean you're kicked out of the country. So people become very uh, compliant to whatever they're running. And this led to, um, you know, when COVID-19 COVID happened, these people being punished uh, extra, you know, taking it extra. Um, before I get into that, though, one of the things I do want to talk about is, um, so who actually works in these plants in America? So this is from the Economic Policy Institute. And the, the article is titled, Who are America's Meat and Poultry Workers? Um, so this came out in 2020, um, or was last updated in 2020. And it talks about, uh, it just opens with, um, in September, the U.S. Department of Labor issued its first citation against two meat packing plants for failing to protect employees for exposure to coronavirus. At those plants alone, almost 1,500 workers have been affected and at least 12 have died, but the fines total just uh, 29, or yeah, $29,000. An important, uh, an amount criticized far too lenient by experts. So, you know, 12 people have died, 30K in fines, um, and, and it, you know, makes sense uh, that, you know, people don't know this. Uh, it's kept underground and and if we look uh this article breaks down the data on who works at meat packaging plants um so the top we'll, we'll start with the, the top five meat packaging and poultry processing states by number of workers um so in meat packing nebraska has the most people followed by iowa texas kansas and illinois and then if we look at poultry um, we have Georgia, Arkansas, North Carolina, Alabama, and Mississippi. So I'm haven't been to America much, uh, but these are not super uh, trendy places. Um, they're pretty rural, or they sound pretty rural to me, being a Canadian who knows nothing about America and uh, where people live in America. Um, but let's look at some of the characteristics. So this graph's actually really nice. It breaks down all US workers. Uh, so people from any sort of, well, the entire working population in the US. And then it has, uh, it compares it to animal slaughter and processing workers. So weirdly enough, the average age um, of all American workers is like 41.9, uh, it's 41.3 for people working in slaughterhouses and 47.4 of all US workers are females. This is 36.2 uh, when we look at slaughterhouses. Now, we end up having a disproportionate amount of um, Latino workers in animal slaughter and processing workers. So if we look um, out of all workers, 16.8% of employees are Latino, but when we go to slaughterhouses, it goes up to 34.9%, uh, which is, you know, as as equal or slightly above um, the 34.5% workers who are white or identify as white. 37.5% um, of slaughterhouse workers are foreign born. Uh, this is the total um, for all U.S. workers, is 70.1. Generally, 46%, um, 46.9% of these people 
um, in slaughterhouses are from Mexico, and 65.2% um, of them speak, um, of foreign-born workers speak Spanish. So Spanish is probably the main language there. Um, only 70% or 70.9% of slaughterhouse workers are uh, non-citizen, by the way. 8.8% are below the poverty line. So interesting stuff there. Um, if we compare meatpacking and poultry, we find um, in meatpacking, 47.7% uh, are Latino there. Um, interesting enough, in poultry, 37.2% are uh, identified as, as this says, black. Um, right? And the, the statistic for um, white workers there is 29.2% in meatpacking, 29.5% in poultry processing. Now, I understand I'm reading a lot of statistics to you. I have a little bit more. Uh, by the way, 11.4% of poultry workers work below the poverty line. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm reading, reading a lot of statistics at you, but uh, what I want you to get out of this is that um, the workforce is generally not, uh, not people who have privileges in society. So these are people that um, are often immigrants, often do not speak English, um, or definitely English is not their first language. And these are people uh, from our last article that we talked about, you know, our living company housing. Um, just one little caveat on this data, uh, the writers do acknowledge that likely um, they don't have enough information uh, because lots of these people are undocumented. So it makes a lot of sense that like, you know, they don't have the credentials uh, to actually be picked up in this study. So uh, they're just sort of underground workers. So they expect there to be more um, in the case of America. Latino workers working in the meat industry. Um, all right, one more thing I want to talk about before we get into the actual like court cases here uh, is that this one paper from uh, July 7th, 2021. And I'll just read a little bit of the abstract. Um, again, this is a free paper. You can read it. The title is a physiologic physiological impact of slaughterhouse employment, a systemic literature review. So a lit review, if you do not know, is they take a bunch of papers that meet the criteria, uh, and then they look for trends in their data. And this is specifically about mental health. Here, actually, I'll just uh, also go down to the results. Do do do, scrolling, 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 the key findings. Um, so staff, with the job role involving the slaughtering process itself were found to exhibit higher rates of mental health problems. Um, Hutz and colleagues, 2013, found that workers in the cutting sec sector had significantly higher prevalences, prevalent rates of depression and anxiety compared with other roles in the slaughterhouse. Um, similarly, Richards and colleagues, 2013, found that propensity for aggression was also related uh, to job roles with the highest scores of aggression being associated with working in the loadouts, uh, i.e. handling the carcasses, followed by working on the kill floor. Then the other roles, however, it is worth noting that the small sample size uh, 
should have noted, should have impacted the findings, um, which is not good. Well, like, you know, you, even if, you know, these findings aren't good or like they could be better, they're not good findings, right? Like no one wants to work in a job where you're more likely to, uh, you know, be violent. Um, right. So I'll just read the conclusion here. Uh, the findings of this review illustrate the scarcity of research on the physiological well-being of um, slaughterhouse workers. The existing research evidence, the relationship between this form of employment and negative psychological and behavioral outcomes, both at the individual level and for the broader society. Also, these findings have clear implications for mental health and community professionals who are in position to address the negative consequences of the industry. Um, that says, however, much more work needs to be done. It actually says it best in the abstract here. Um, so I'll just read the entire abstract because it's pretty quick. Um, the role of slaughterhouse worker involves the authorized killing of living beings, yet there is limited understanding of the consequences this behavior has on their well-being. Purpose of the systemic uh, review is to collate and evaluate the current literature on the psychological impact of slaughterhouse employment. 14 studies met the specific priori inclusion criteria. The findings from this review were demacrated by the focus of studies, one, the prevalence of mental health disorders, two, the types of coping mechanisms used, and three, the link between slaughterhouse employment and crime perpetration. perpetration. I'm actually really bad at reading. Anyways, keep it going. It was found that uh, slaughterhouse workers have a higher prevalence of rate of mental health issues, in particular depression and anxiety, in addition to violence supportive attitudes. Furthermore, the workers employ a variety of both adaptive and maladaptive strategies to cope with the workplace environment and associated stressors. Finally, there is some evidence that slaughterhouse work is associated with increased crime levels. The research reviewed has shown a link between slaughterhouse work and antisocial behavior generally and sexual offending specifically. There is no support for such association with violent crimes. However, based on existing research, we suggest further direction your research, i.e. applying more methodological rigor, but highlight key findings for practitioners and policymakers that warrant attention. Um, so good news, you know, no evidence that there uh, commit more violent crimes, but like, let's, you know, let's look at this. So you're working in a slaughterhouse in America. Uh, you're likely an immigrant, uh, potentially undocumented. You or your coworkers uh, are more likely to have an amputation occur. Uh, you're working in very arguably disgusting conditions, being yelled at uh, by your bosses and stuff like that. Um, you're more likely to get a you know repetitive strain injury and then fired. Uh, you're not really making that much money. And uh, yeah, you're you're like living living uh in company housing on company time um not not all that good uh the final thing i want to talk about when we're talking about america uh in this case is there's another article from the atlantic um america's slaughterhouses aren't just killing animals this is by the same author as our first one um and this is all about sort of the cases um, against um, 
legal cases against uh specifically they focus on tyson foods uh though cargill is also under the gun uh as well as smithfield foods and gbs usa um so what ended up happening is that uh um tyson's uh released a letter you know thanking all the the people uh you know that are working and uh that during during the pandemic and that you know they'd have to limit the the amount of uh people working uh, or the amount that they could produce due to the COVID pandemic. Um, Donald Trump, almost directly after, used the Defense Production Act of 1950 to declare meat packing plants to be a critical infrastructure, uh, meaning that they had to stay open. And from there, uh, went bad, you know? So uh, this, this does talk about how there's a big link between the Republican Party and... Uh, you know, meat processing, uh, the, the animal agriculture industry, um, you know, but uh, this whole article just talks about like how bad it is. Um, but the, the part I really want to talk about, um, you know, outside of the fact that six workers have died um, and hundreds have been sickened, uh, at least at this one plant, I'm just scrolling through to get to the part I actually care about um, or want, want to read. Um, so we'll talk about the lawsuit here, um, that was filed in America. So under the pseudonym, Jane Doe, a worker at Smithfield pork plant in Milan, Missouri, joined a lawsuit against the company on April 23rd. She wasn't seeking any money. She wanted a court order that would force Smithfield to obey coronavirus guidance from public health officials and the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention. I'm afraid for my health and safety, she said in the lawsuit, as well as the health and safety of people I am in contact with in the larger community because of the way in which Smithfield is managing the plant response to COVID-19. On May 5th, U.S. District Judge Gray Case dismissed the lawsuit. Um, Case wrote that Smithfield has taken significant steps to protect workers and that two federal agencies, the United States Department of Agriculture and the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, were responsible for ensuring compliance with guidelines. Kay also absolved the company. No one can guarantee health for essential workers or even the general public in the middle of the pandemic. Um, you know, the company said that, uh, um, like, I'll, I'll read it. Here, Smithfield, which is the company, said after the ruling, from the start, we stated that this lawsuit was frivolous, full of species, spe uh, allegations um, that were without factual or legal merit and that the assertions were based on speculation, hearsay, anonymous declarations, and outdated information. Um, this was nothing more than an attempt by a number of interconnected groups to remove their agenda through outrageous accusations. Vegan lobby, come on out. Uh, yeah, big broccoli's coming after you. Um, but yeah, so the thing here is that uh, in these plants, the, the companies, um, I guess, you know, well, we'll talk about what Smithfield actually said um, about this and, and who they're blaming for these higher... COVID rates. Um, 
Living circumstances in certain cultures are different than those with your traditional American family. A Smithfield spokesperson told BuzzFeed News, a comment that company later disavowed. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Wisconsin Chief Justice Patience um, Rogensack dismissed the spread of COVID-19 in Round Country, Wisconsin, home to the GBS plant, saying that the workers who had fallen ill weren't regular, quote, regular folks. Um, yeah. Like, and they, they go on to say, or one of the governors, um, the, well, the South Dakota governor, Christy Noam, um, said that we believe that 99% of what's going on today wasn't happening inside the facility. Um, when he's on, on, on Fox News talking about the outbreak, he says, it was more at home where these employees were going home and spreading some of the virus because a lot of these folks that work in this plant live in the same community, same building, sometimes the same apartments. If you remember... These are immigrants who are being shipped to the place uh, and then put in company housing. Does that not big brain compute that uh, that would also be the company's problem? You know, if these people were living in the same apartment. Uh, now, I know this like podcast has been kind of a ramble, but I really hope you can all connect that uh, these are people being treated very poorly by the company, uh, in the case of these COVID-19 cases, the company is turning around and saying their treatment of these employees is the employee's fault, right? They're living in company housing. Uh, they're, you know, doing that. And then, uh, like, the companies are now blaming them for living in company housing when these Immigrants, often again undocumented, do not have a choice. It's ridiculous. Anyways, um, the court case was thrown out. Um, they've been, you know, like, and uh, the one with Tyson's food uh, is also just like not gone on. So, yeah, like the meat industry is is not really getting hit over this. Um, luckily, though, in Canada. Things are a little different. Uh, so there's a class action lawsuit filed against Cargill meat packaging plant. And um, there was, um, they were planning on striking. I don't know if they ever did, um, the Cargill workers. Um, the RCMP is also investigating Cargill um, about COVID-19 deaths. So let, let's get into it. Um, let's get, we'll, we'll go back to Canada here. Um, we talk about this. So from this article, what Cargill workers want. Um, this came out in December 1st, 2021. Um, so at the site of a massive COVID-19 outbreak at a meat processing plant in Southern Alberta, workers don't want things to go back to the way they were before. Um, so here they're, they're actually, um, interesting enough in Canada, um, they, they are unionized, like these workers are unionized and I believe it has to do with the fact, um, they're regulated and how much, uh, immigrant workers they can have. Um, so I think it's something like 10%. Um, and, and often these people, they come, they work, 
uh, and then they will become like citizens or they, they will stay here long enough that they no longer count as uh, foreign workers and then they'll continue to work. So we still have a lot of, uh, you know, immigrant workers. Um, but, right, like they, they do have a union. So this whole article is about striking um, and it's, it's all a bunch of people uh, basically saying that they're underworked, they're underpaid, um, sorry, they're overworked, underpaid, you know, they don't have time, they don't have the employees, and, uh, like, it's, it's just not, uh, not a good time. So, let's talk about, uh, here, we'll just read this little snippet here. So, Andreas, not his real name, says, very likely anyone hired locally won't last at the plant very long. Um, conversely, temporary foreign workers at the company bring in tend to have more longevity. These foreign workers often speak limited to no English, and many have voiced concerns about their job security and what speaking up would mean if it comes when it comes to them remaining in Canada. Um, new research done by Bronwyn Bragg, uh, a postdoctoral research fellow at the Center of Refugee Studies at New York University in Toronto, sheds further light on Alberta's meatpacking industry. This research was done in conjunction with uh, Dr. Jennifer Heinemann. So actually, Bragg and Heinemann do a lot of work on this um, with Action Dignity. Um, but uh, the research conducted surveys uh, where they did they immigrate, um, they gave surveys out. Um, and in Alberta, 67% of people who work in meat packing are classified as immigrants. Um, right. And they say it's very difficult to find people who will work in meatpacking, according to the industry itself, and yet they rely on this workforce. So the first key takeaway is that's a highly vulnerable workforce. And like to, to keep going, I guess, um, according to Cargill's website, since 2007, the High River facility has recruited more than 1,000 foreign workers from the Philippines and Mexico. When they arrive, they're often picked up by the airport by their employer, Bragg says, so all their settlement happens through the employer. That produces a particular form of risk because workers do not have a legal status in Canada. Um, Bragg says workers are therefore less incentivized to speak up about the conditions that may be unsafe. Those challenges speak to the need for access to permanent residence on arrival for these workers, she says. Yeah. Um, and, and I understand we're, we're getting pretty long here in the episode. Uh, we're at the, the 45 minutes, and I don't want to go too much over this. Um, but, like, this is a problem in Canada as well. So most of this episode I was talking about, like, American statistics. But these same problems are happening in our own country. They're happening in Alberta. Um, right? Like, why, why do we accept this? Um, why, why do we, uh, why do we just let this happen? Um, why, why do we support this business that does not care about human rights, uh, that is bringing people over here, um, to essentially exploit them? And yes, the, uh, the animals are exploited, uh, they are and will always be. 
sort of the main victim here uh, as they lose their lives. But as we see in the meatpacking industry and the slaughterhouse industry, that we have these um, immigrants losing limbs, living in company housing, being treated poorly, and not having a voice. When I think of my students, um, I often think like, what would I be happy for them to do? Uh, what are some careers that like I want them to have? And and of course, like I think big. So I'm like, uh, these kids are they're gonna be doctors. Uh, they're gonna you know do something big with their life. They're gonna become scientists. Uh, maybe they're gonna do a ton of math. Maybe they're gonna be you know programmers stuff like that. Um, I would never wish upon any of my students to work in a meat packing plants, you know, meat, meat uh, processing plants. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, the amount of like terrible things that go on there. Right. And, you know, I, I, I think like, um, just in my reading in the 60s, 70s, like they were, you know, stable careers, um, where the people were generally not super exploited, but right. I, I don't think we can say that for today. And it's, it's one of those things. So when I read stuff like this, uh, and I, I don't watch a lot of like vegan documentaries and stuff, because quite frankly, I don't really like watching slaughterhouse footage. Um, I've seen a lot of slaughterhouse stuff, uh, just doing this, the research here. Um, this is not a place I would personally like to be. I personally like to go, right? These people are, uh, pushed to their limit they're treated poorly they're surrounded by death um and i don't think you know we should allow it in our communities right i don't think um people people should go through this one of the other things um i do want to touch about i i know that was, that was a very like concluding statement there um but uh if you noticed I think about three or four times throughout this when I was reading quotes, I said like, hey, um, worker withheld their name or this is a fake name, something along that lines. And it's like, it's absolutely ridiculous that people should feel that at work in these situations as well, right? Like everything I'm reading to and, and telling you uh, points to these people not having a voice and being in a bad situation. Um, I think, so we're, we're at 50 minutes. Um, I think I'll more or less like stop my rant there. Uh, but I do want to do a little bit of housekeeping things that I probably should have done at the opening of the episode. Um, so for anyone who's like listened to this, who's very like anti-vegan, first of all, thank you for getting through this all, you know? Um, I'm sure you, you have a lot of things that you're like willing to be like, what about... I don't know, lions though. Um, I did make sure, like I, throughout the podcast, I told you my sources are what articles and, and authors where, where I could. Um, all the articles will be linked in the description. So please go through them and try to figure out if I, you know, miss, uh, misrepresented these things. Because obviously I just gave you a very small snapshot. I've read all these articles full out. Um, that's why I felt comfortable using them. Uh, in this, but I understand like when I'm reading these, you might 
think like, oh, this is a little biased. Maybe he's just like, you know, not like uh, when I'm reading these on the podcast. Like maybe he's just like skipping skipping things like that slaughterhouse workers are also, I don't know, like statistically likely to be super cool. Who knows? Uh, but feel free to read all of that. Um, and like even even if like this is only half true, uh, it would still be bad. Just just saying. And that eating meat is like completely unnecessary. It's not not needed. Where was I going with this? Oh yeah. Um I back back to the sources, like I tried to pick sources that I don't think were super left wing, if that makes sense. Um I tried to pick sources that I, I thought were like pretty middle of the ground. Um trying not to like you know, I I, I had uh, article about the from the Calgary Herald here, but uh, didn't want to use it. Thought thought it might be a little little too left wing. Um, so I I intentionally avoided all things that I considered to be like vegan sources, hence why I didn't just like parrot Earthly Ned videos the entire time, uh, which probably would have been a better podcast. Um, so please like you know go out, uh, do some reading if you, if you're like interested in this or or think I'm I'm not being honest um like feel free to do that again all links are will be in the description um but please like if this uh disturbs you if this bothers you um please like make a change uh do something with your life uh that absolves you um from the guilt of taking part in this because if you um are buying meat you are not only um not only like accepting of this you are actively promoting this and that's the thing where i think i'm going to lose a lot of you uh listeners um you cannot both uh outcry you you cannot you cannot uh say this is bad uh well on one the other hand being an active participant in this right this is, uh, you know, if, like, you should change your behavior because of this. Um, and I don't know what that's going to mean for you as an individual. Uh, please reach out. I'll drop my email in the description. I'll also drop some resources on, uh, like, the 30-day vegan challenge. Um, maybe I'll drop a link to Dominion. Who knows? I haven't actually watched Dominion. Uh, if you want some, you know, slaughterhouse footage to watch, uh, what happens or what the workers actually do. If you want to see that, uh, live, um, well not live cause it's a movie, you know, but I really hope this kind of disturbs you actually. Um, and you're like, wow, you know, maybe I should change. Maybe I should, uh, eat less meat. Maybe I should not support these industries. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot uh, of people being like, um, you know, like, oh, what's, what's one person going to do? Uh, what's the impact of one person? Um, but the impact of one person is, you know, less money for these companies. Uh, money is the language that companies speak in and you know, you don't have to supply, you, you can put your money into big broccoli. Come on. <laughs> but 
uh, buy buy more fruits and vegetables. You know, put it put it into big tofu. Um, and you know, there's a larger conversation of you know the whole uh, food industry is completely flawed. Um, and this is just like one wart, uh, one cyst in the entire you know food industry. But uh, this is one cyst you can easily avoid, right? So, you know, actively avoid it, please. Um, am I preachy? Did this get preachy? Anyways, um, again, thank you all for listening. Thanks for getting here. Uh, if you want to, again, have a conversation about this, you know, reach out to my email. Uh, reach out to me on Instagram, you know. My Instagram is cooking underscore with underscore Corey, um, which I'll also link in the description. Uh, but feel, feel free to talk about it. And, you know, if, if you're in the local area and you're like, hey, I'm a listener, um, I don't want to promote this anymore, but I don't know what I'd eat, I'll have you over for supper. I don't really care. Um, you know, cooking people delicious food is the second best form of activism, in my opinion. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever, whatever helps the animals, uh, as they, they are the victims of the situation. Um, right. Well, in, in this case, also vast amount of immigrant labor is, is, uh, the victim. And, uh, maybe I should also do, a, uh, an episode on, you know, how immigrant labor picks much of the fruit. Uh, that we eat and does does a lot of work in generally the food industry in in general, um, but you can't you can't avoid the entire food industry, but you can avoid a good amount of it, and this is part of it you can avoid. Um, so I feel we're all ethically required to avoid it. Have I rambled enough? Have I have I have I gone? Um, anyways. This, this has been this episode. Um, since the, in, in a completely different note, uh, uh, the end of the anime season is, uh, is upon us. Um, so I think what I'll do, I, I won't use um, like a monthly episode to do the winter in review. I think I'm just gonna drop that sometime this month. Uh, and it'll, it'll just be like, you know, talking about what I've done um, sports wise, what I've done, like anime wise, what I've played, stuff like that, um, in the winter season. But I don't think that episode really deserves like the month mantle. Um, cause I've been maybe putting more effort, uh, into episodes than previously. And one of the cool things is now that I'm working on a monthly, like, um, schedule is I'm actually working on more than one episode at a time. So that's pretty cool. Um, Anyways, don't do anything I wouldn't do or haven't done. I want to see you all here next month or sooner if you want me to cook you vegan food and live in the local area, which I won't say the local area on the podcast because I don't want to be doxxed. Um, so you're going you're gonna to have to slide into my DMs to find that out. Anyways, bye.